Hi there, welcome along to this week's High Performance Podcast and soon to be a High Performance Book, which comes out later on in 2021. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But I really hope that tuning into today's episode of the High Performance Podcast, you feel good, you feel strong, you feel ready to take on the world. And if not, I suspect that this week's episode will correct that because it is inspiring. Here's what to expect. Not many teams win world championships. There is less who can do more than one. And I don't believe there is any that won seven in a row on a world championship level. And the reason is that great people meet on this journey, but great people leave, uh, lose motivation or energy, get complacent. And if winning becomes a habit and is not something special anymore, this may create a a negative spiral that eventually is going to make you lose. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I honestly think this is one of the best episodes we've ever recorded. Damien and I really love the conversation. And talking of being excited, uh, Damien, we are releasing a book in December. People are already pre-ordering it. Can you believe that? I know it's fantastic compliment, isn't it? People trust us enough that they're prepared to order it and then wait a number of months. So, uh, yeah, that's thank you for everybody that's that, that's done that. Uh, Kate on Insta says, um, will your book be available in the US, Damien? Yes, it will. It'll be available worldwide. Are you just guessing that answer? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We know that uh, there's uh, some, there's quite a lot of markets in the, uh, all around the world. That, and that's part of the reason we chose uh, Penguin Random House to go with. I asked you that because I knew there'd be a bit of your head thinking, uh, is, is it available? I think it is. Yeah. Um, look, we, one of the great things about this pod is that we've got a really big listenership in the States, in South Africa. Africa, in Australia, um, and in many other countries. So we are going to make sure that our book is available wherever you want it. There's also a question, will there be an audio book? There will. I don't know, Damien, whether we like, do we do like heads or tails or something to work out who does the audio book? Do I just leave it to you with your dulcet Manchester tones? I'm not sure. I think we should bring in some Shakespearean actors, Jake, to uh, deliver the lines with uh, real aplomb. I think that would go down really well. Deal. And on that note, here it is, this week's 
High Performance Podcast. Hi there, this is High Performance. Jake and Damien delving into the minds of the planet's most successful artists, visionaries, entrepreneurs and leaders with one clear aim, to unlock the lessons they've learned so you can apply them to your life. Professor Damien Hughes, expert in high-achieving team cultures, is with me as ever. And Damien, we were WhatsApping each other earlier this morning, sharing our excitement about today's guest. And I'm not sure I've ever said this on the podcast before, but this guy is something of a hero of mine because I think to excel in an engineering-heavy sport by using people skills is something that we should all be celebrating. I'm so impressed by him on a on a weekly basis. Yeah, I think I share your excitement today, Jake. It's, I'm really looking forward to exploring this conversation. I, I had a phrase that kept coming to mind about this guest, that if you're persistent, you'll get it. If you're consistent, you'll keep it. And I think this person has sustained success for so long. I think there's so much we can learn. So there you go, consistency and persistency. Let's get on with it then and welcome a businessman, a husband, a father, a leader, a winner. You may well know him as the Formula One team boss who's led his squad to seven successive double world championships, more than anyone else, making him the most successful leader in that sport. But what you most likely won't know is the trauma that shaped his childhood, the clear decision-making that shapes his investing, the sacrifices he makes that shapes the Mercedes culture and the authenticity he lives by that will most likely shape his legacy. So it's our absolute pleasure to welcome to the High Performance Podcast, Toto Wolf. Welcome. Thank you for, for having me. And uh, I don't, I'm speechless <laughs> with the compliments I received. I, I probably shouldn't say anything anymore because it's going to only be worse than your introduction. That's the end of the episode then. Thanks for coming on. Um, look, Toto, we always start with the same question to all of our guests. What, in your mind, constitutes high performance? High performance is... Um, scoring in the KPIs you set yourself. It's meeting my own expectations. What I'm doing is always trying to not do anything for anybody else's perception or any anybody else's definition of success, but only for what I would judge as, as a success in my, in my own life. And it's not only about the sport, of business, it's the most important part is in um, uh, having a successful marriage and a happy family life, and everything else is comes just much further down the line. So, if everything is about matching up to your own expectations, how honest are you with yourself? In my early business life, there was a motto we had in our investment company, and that was that for every startup that we looked at, we wanted to tell them the brutal truth because it makes no sense to mislead anybody. And it makes no sense to mislead yourself. So I'm brutally honest with myself every day in the evening, looking at the mirror, washing my face or brushing my teeth. I judge myself and I say, how was, how was today? Where do you think there is room for improvement? I, ne- I never look at the positives in, in the same way that I look at the negatives. So if I can take you back to the beginning of your story then, Toto, that that's a really interesting philosophy that you always look at what you can improve as opposed to what you have achieved. Where did that mindset start to develop then? I, I, I don't really know. I couldn't pinpoint it to a single situation in my life. It is, uh, has probably been part of my upbringing, always expect the worst. There is no positive surprises. There is only the risk of failure. And that's 
is something that has followed me all my life. And it's not something that I'm doing on purpose because negativity can be quite harmful. So finding the balance when communicating to others is sometimes a bit tricky because I'm always seeing things from a half-empty glass perspective. And do you think some of that was shaped by the trauma of losing your father in your teenage years then? Yes, for sure, because it was not only losing my father, but losing losing a, f- a family situation, losing um, security. I think for, an, for a child or for an, uh, for an young adult, uh, having a lack of security, and I see this with my children today, that safety is the most important, the feeling of being protected. If you lose that, it can make you a more successful person in terms of the definition that is commonly understood as long as it doesn't go into really traumatic experiences, because there is a clear differentiation between trauma and trauma is definitely a more severe situation. So yeah, definitely needing to grow up um, to take uh, the life of my mother, my sister into my own hands. And as, as, as long as I can remember, I only wanted to get out there and uh, look after them, be able to earn my own money and not be ever dependent again on anybody else. And do you think that that drives you even today, all these years later, Toto? I think it changes. I'm trying to develop also as a, as a, as a human being. Uh, certainly, I'm working very hard on reducing what is childhood memories and the real life today. I'm not anymore the, the boy that back in the day, and I don't need to carry so much baggage from the past into today's lives. But... Uh, it's still there. It's still who I am. Um, I acknowledge it. It makes no sense to try to ignore because it it is part of who I am. And that is sometimes difficult. But it's also important to just accept that. Yeah. It's interesting when you, you talk about working hard to at this age not to be defined, if you like, by that trauma. I wonder whether there was a whether there was a period where it was almost it was too much. Maybe when you were younger, it was it was still important because it drove you and it pushed you and it reminded you to always expect the worst, as you said. But there's a balance, isn't there? You don't want to be having that too strong, too heavy in your life. Yes, I would say you need to be careful what everybody's perception of childhood will contain some kind of anxieties, humiliations, um, bad moments. And what is commonly seen as, as trauma is actually not real trauma because real trauma is in, in when you're in a war situation where you when you've seen um, abuse um, that leaves real scars that are almost impossible to heal. But what what happened to me wasn't any of that. What happened to me will have happened happened to many people, and it's just what you make out of it. And and today I'm able to see the positives. The, the positives that constantly push me, that never allow me to to rest in the with the fear of that this might may end and trigger negative situation. But whilst saying that, I'm totally I'm not a hostage of uh, my job or a hostage of of success because that's not part what what brings you ultimate happiness. It's just much more finding out what you actually want, and that changes. So. I'm intrigued by that phrase that you use, oh, Toto, around creating an environment of safety, that you said that all children need it, but equally it sounds that all cultures are built on this sense of psychological safety. So how do you go about creating that, both in your personal life and in your professional? In my personal life, it's not all one directional. I must say that 
Today I have a, a wife, Susie, who is very strong in her own right. And when, when I'm vulnerable or not in my the best need, then she is the one who's, who keeps the, the ship steady sailing. And that's important. So our relationship is very much balanced. There's not one that would entirely rely his life on the other. It's, it's, it's both of us. And I have um, young adult children. I have a son that's 19 year old, that just finished his military service, goes to study in the US. And sometimes when I talk with him, it's, it's becoming less of a father uh, advises son situation, but also son advises father. And he comes out with things that are so intelligent and in a way surprising for me, but I'm also very, very proud. And uh, the same with my daughter. So security is immensely important. And I'm trying to, to do the same in the company. I'm protecting, protecting the people, uh, which I see a little, little bit like my tribe. We are on this joint mission, on this journey together. And part of my role is to have big enough shoulders to take some of the adversity that's hitting us. And I will try to my best to never let anybody down in the team. And I think this is something that's being failed. But it's not, it, it's not something that I actively do. It's just something which is inherent, is part of who I am, and I don't feel any pressure with it. It's really interesting. So let's go back then to when you walked through the door at Mercedes. Had you decided the culture you wanted to create in that organization before you arrived? Or did you arrive, take a look, make your decisions? Uh, I was 40 years old, 39 years old. And I had a clear understanding of what I, what I wanted. I've been with Williams for a while, been a non-executive director at Williams, uh, looking at, at it purely as a financial investment. And in the last year of my Williams life, I was managing the team in 2012, which I took great enjoyment of uh, being there with, with Frank. It was a solid year. We won a race with Pastor Maldonado against all odds. And um, that's why I, I always had a clear vision where I wanted Williams to be. And when I walked in the first time into Mercedes, it wasn't what I wanted it to be. And what did you want it to be? I mean, the first day I walked in, I, I, I went, I arrived in reception and, and I sat down in reception and it didn't look like a Formula One team. Uh, there was an old Daily Mail on the table from the previous week and coffee cups that had the dry coffee. And... Um, and I, I couldn't believe that this was the Mercedes Formula One team. And now you may say, how do dry coffee cups uh, or an old Daily Mail impact on the performance of a Formula One team? But it's all, it shows an attitude. It shows attention to detail. And I think this is most important for a high-tech team. And all these soft factors that many will ignore because it's not data, it's not aerodynamics, it's not vehicle dynamics um, that, that make a car faster, but all that is part of the values of a team. And if everybody runs in the same direction, everybody acknowledges that attention to detail is important, then eventually the wheel is going to gain some momentum. And um, so that was my first experience of Mercedes F1. See, so when you identify values like that, such as the number that you've just described there, total, like attention to detail and caring, about image and perception. To go and introduce them into a world like that, did you meet opposition or resistance along the way when you came in and started preaching those messages? I, I came into this situation almost like an unknown man. I've made a success out of my um, investment life, 
But in Formula One, it's a little bit of an incest environment. Um, everybody seems to be rotating from one team to the other. And where I felt resistance, I tried to convince. Where I couldn't convince, it ended. And um, I think that's very important. But I give everybody credit, the chance to develop, to agree on on a path forward. And sometimes I'm wrong. So I really like the discussion with competent people and come to a joint opinion. And I must say, when you speak about me setting the values, I, if you think you can change the world um, by yourself, unless you're Elon Musk, maybe, we don't know any of the people who really make Tesla fly, interestingly, as a marketing strategy. But also, I have just a great group of people around me. I take much too much credit for their achievements. And uh, creating the values was, was part of the leadership that I, that I have today. I could name you 10 people that I'm actively engaging every week. And all of us played a part in creating the values. And what were they, Toto? So if you were to summarize them, what were the most important values that you and your colleagues did identify as the path to success? Most important is character traits, integrity, loyalty, respect for the individual, attention to detail, fanatical obsession with what you do. I mean, I could sit here half an hour and name you what I think is important, but this may vary from person to person, but this, I would say this is the core skeleton of the team. And how do you impart what you want the team to be, how you want people to interact with each other, what really matters to you? Because I, we go into businesses all the time and there's big slogans on the wall or they hand out a welcome booklet and it has the things written in it. There's no way of knowing whether that really impacts individuals. So what have you learned from, from the life you've lived to really make people understand and get to their heart, not just their head? I have always taken great enjoyment in uh, studying psychology. Something that was important for me to overcome my past is something that you can directly translate in your uh, personal life, the interactions with the human beings you engage with, and obviously also the, the business life. Like you say, it's very easy to hand out a, a book or put it on a wall in a PowerPoint and say, this is how we are, this is who we are, and this is our targets. And if it would be easy, it wouldn't create a differentiator. And in that sport, it is important to actually live by your values. And i give you one example. The first day I had the opportunity to have a town hall in Mercedes, it was Ross and I. And Ross introduced me to the employees. And um, what I said at the, at the beginning or at the end of, the, of my little monologue was that this time it would be very different, that it, there wouldn't be an ownership change every couple of years because those guys... Uh, where BAR, then Honda, then Braun, ran out of money, became Mercedes, uh, had an um, Abu Dhabi investor, and then suddenly it's Nikki and I showing up. So not really stability. So I said, it will be different. This is a long-term uh, shareholding. I will look after the team in a way that I will try to engage with Daimler, that we get the best out of this almighty brand and powerhouse whilst protecting the culture of a mid-sized company that is, that is Mercedes. And I made all these nice sentences and um, very proud of myself, not. Um, and then <laughs> everybody left the room. And at the very end, there was one guy from the machine shop. 
And he, he stopped at the little podium that I was standing on it. He said, nice words. And he left. And I knew that these people were, the history showed them that you couldn't rely on what the big Jesus told you. And it was part of my, my mission to prove him wrong or make it different. And I enjoy just being with, just, just looking after the people and working with them. See, there's a trait that I picked up looking at your career history, Toto, which is, I think, underrated in so many different fields, which is about the art of patience, that when you go and invest, whether it's in business or whether it's in uh, Mercedes now, that you seem to have that long-term perspective that stops knee-jerk reactions or boom and bust cycles. Would you tell us a little bit more about how you've developed that long-term perspective and that art of patience? I think when you would ask the people that, that work with me in the team, they would rather say I'm impatient because I want things changing now. I'm um, um, exercising pressure to the point where I think it's helpful and not beyond. But I, I, you know, I get on with things. If I want to solve a problem, I pick up the phone. And you know, there's no postponement of any action. But on the other side, life has proven to me that sometimes the things that you want to achieve also need patience. And I, I enjoy that, uh, to have an, to, to look for an outcome in my interaction with people or, or what I want to, to, to achieve for this team. And it happens, but it happens over time. And it's almost a self-discipline on being able to wait. And we're, we're sitting here and talking, Toto, on the verge of the new Formula One season where you will look to make it eight double world championships in a row. I think if we spoke to almost every team principal in the Formula One paddock today, they would talk about um, attention to detail and hard work and making the team feel empowered. But you are the ones that have won seven times on the bounce, constructors and drivers. What do you think has been the dis- defining factor in that? How is your success so great when everyone else is doing everything they can to be successful around you? First of all, it makes me happy to hear these things now from the paddock. Clearly, some are just putting it on the wall with a PowerPoint and expect this to happen. Um, but others are really um, embracing that. And I believe that all of us, we can increase each other's level. And uh, you just need somebody coming in and then raising the bar and every other, every, everybody else is going to try to achieve that. And I have made that experience recently. But what is the differentiator? The differentiator is all those values that I could talk for a long time that lead also to the, to the camaraderie that we have within the team, that we are empowering, that we blame the problem, that we communicate around hierarchies in, in terms of quickly solving the problem. Mercedes board that gives us unconditional support and no politics. Politics you can do outside to make, the, to make things go towards your direction. Yeah. No allowance for politics inside the team. No place for dickheads. The all blacks mentality. So we use the phrase on the podcast, Toto FIFO, fit in or F off. That rings true? That rings absolutely true. Um, you, can't, you can't embed the genius jerk. Another one that we had one time was uh, an entrepreneur who joined us called Holly Tucker. And she said in her businesses, she'd rather have a hole than an asshole. 
uh, you guys on the on the on the island in in the UK, you're rather polite. So. <laughs> I'll tell you what, what I'd really like to hear hear from you, Toto, because it, all this is so fascinating, but I want to understand how it actually works. So can you take us back to, there aren't many of them, admittedly, one of the difficult periods or a difficult day, a dif- something going wrong over the last few years and how you and the people around you dealt with that, that, that sums up what you do differently. We have this concept of the day we fail is the day that our competitors will regret. Because you rarely come off you come away from a race saying, why the hell did we win? Uh, everybody's in a bit of mood of satisfaction when you go and you, of course, you analyze and you look at things, but you've done a good job. The car is good. Everybody's has worked. But when you lose, you go away and say, why the heck did we lose? What went wrong? And you analyze in much more depth. And because our hamster wheel runs so fast, there's one race after the other. You need to be pretty quick with that. So, our meetings on Monday, the debriefs, are pretty straightforward. And what I tried to put in um, many years ago was that the leaders need to be able to come out with what they did wrong. And only then the organization will learn that it's actually true that we are never blaming the person, but the process where we need to optimize. And it's still something that I just had a situation today where, where I realized that somebody didn't speak up and I encouraged him to speak up. I actually told the person, I see it as a, you owe it to the company to speak up because if you don't, you damage us in our performance. And there's many examples of, um, of that is one that, that was important. For example, is we never performed in, well in Singapore. We had a really good season in 2014 and 15 and always came Singapore, we lacked performance. And this time around, it was really such an outlier that I said, well, we cannot accept the status quo. We need to get on top of this uh, because I believe it will also make us faster on the other circuits. And the group that was involved around the mechanical side of the car really stuck their heads together. And we went to Japan the, the following week and we killed everybody. Next year, we were the dominating team in Singapore. And the lessons we learned were so valuable for all the years to come. So can I ask you a question, Toto, that really intrigues me from what you're saying? From the outside, from somebody that wouldn't understand Formula One, it's very much a technical sport. And yet you're describing the importance of people and people bringing their characteristics. If you had to apportion... How much of your success then over the last seven years has been down to people versus the processes? What would you describe that proportion to be? 100% people, because people make processes. And when you speak about the team or the company, you need to speak about all the people that work in the team. Everybody that's adding their part to the team's success. When you have a thousand people meditating, you will, hear, you will feel the aura of the place. And there are some scientific studies about that. So I strongly believe that everybody, if everybody pulls in the, in the same direction to the best of their abilities with the important character traits and values, this will trigger positive force. Now, this sounds like, a, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi speaking about <laughs> uh, force. Meditating doesn't make the car faster. Uh, and that is down to data. That is down to process, solid engineering, and stability. 
But all that is made by people. And that's what, what I find fascinating. When you're recruiting somebody to join this culture that you're, that you're embedding, one of our favourite phrases on this is that talent will get you into the room, your behaviour and your values will keep you there. So how do you recruit somebody that once you're confident that, that, that they can implement effective processes, how do you recruit against these values? So that changed over time because there is the known recruitment processes. But I'm lucky enough to work with a chief people's officer, Paul, who came from a large corporation, GLR, and who was part of the journey with me because he came to the team at the same time than I did. And there's so much that I learned from him because all the things that I throw at him, the ideas, the articles, the the science, he's actually the one who makes it happen in real life. And it developed jointly with the team around us. We got it to a point where our process is maybe different. And that is, again, down to people's judgment. If you develop that eye and that skill, you will recognize that somebody with the best CV could not fit into the organization. And I would say somebody that's walking into my room for an interview, I, it takes me two minutes to find out whether this person would fit in our structure. So how would you do that? So, so what, would, like, what would be your killer question that would answer that for you? There is no killer question. I look in the eyes. And if somebody's authentic, humble enough, whilst being ambitious, you feel that. You sense if the person is the missing link for that position. And have you, over time, not gone with your instinct? You've been sort of overruled by the fact this person's CV looks incredible. And there's a voice in the back of your head going, it's not right, but look at the CV. And you make the mistake and you learn from it. Yeah, of course, because I'm impressed by academic record also. And we had the situation that we only hired from the best universities. Uh, You needed to have an engineering degree, aerodynamics, aeronautics from Cambridge, Oxford, Cranfield, whatever. And um, and I said, well, what about, you know, are we not missing out on, on students that maybe didn't have the possibility to study at those top universities? Are we not missing out on on people that that have a passion for the sport, that understand racing. And the answer was, no, 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 we just need to have the best of every year and this is an engineering sport. And I said, what about somebody who hasn't got an academic grade at all? Well, impossible. We wouldn't even, you know, we wouldn't even consider him to, probably wouldn't even write him a response letter. I said, okay, that, that's interesting. So you wouldn't, you would never employ such a person. No, we would never. I said, well, then you would have never employed me. Uh, no, no, that's different. That's different because you found us. So today, why we are really pushing hard for diversity in the team is that we are looking for diversity in opinion. And we are looking at universities that are not in the most privileged um, areas. We are looking at schools um, that uh, are in a similar environment. We are working with the Mulberry Trust and the Mulberry Schools to allow children that would never you know, have access to STEM education or job in Formula One to inspire them. And that is something that I take great pride in doing. But I failed in the recruitment. I also failed in the recruitment when I knew exactly I'm going to fail, but I needed to place that person in a strategic position to achieve a longer term outcome. But sometimes in order to get the wheel turning, 
you need to make an obvious recruitment that looks like a solver of all the problems, whilst you know it's not, but necessary to achieve the next step. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. I, I think what's really interesting, Toto, is hearing you talk about this cognitive diversity, because if everyone has lived exactly the same life and walked along exactly the same path until they walk in the doors of your Formula One team, they're all going to see the same things, but crucially, they're all going to miss the same things. And I remember I only did four years working in the Formula One paddock, but I remember leaving and my overriding emotion was that sport and that world and those people are wonderful. But if they took the blinkers off, being Formula One people, they would realise that they're maybe 20 or 30% what they could be, even though they were the best teams and the best people in that world. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we are we are the victim of our own perception and uh, a common mistake in the hiring process in the old days. I think it's much more complex today and much much more uh, scientific when you hire people. But in the old days, people would hire um, applicants just like them, but with the same kind of education, a similar background. They would dress like them. They would have the same hobbies. And of course, you get along with such a person much more than somebody who has a totally different background. But this is what you need to achieve in order, what you need to do in order to have the variety of opinion and not believe that what what you perceive as being the ultimate truth actually is. I like the concept of actually looking from outside and say, what can that person bring to the organization? So what would you say has been one innovation that you personally have brought into Mercedes then? Toto, from your experiences of running your own businesses outside of that world? Um, well, I, I don't want to talk about what I can bring in, but one aspect that is definitely something I, where I add value is persistence. I never let go. When I feel that there is an area where we need to, a political area or an area where we need to improve, I never let go. So one example would be? Sometimes you need to defend the interests of your teams against the other teams with the regulator, Formula One, commercial rights holder, the sponsors, the public. And um, I may fail, but I'm not letting go. So where in the team do you see you having the biggest impact? What's What's the most important impact you can have? Because when I look at a Formula One team, I understand how the driver can have an impact, how the race engineer or the aerodynamicist can have a direct impact. Your role is so widespread. You're like the prime minister, okay? You've got everyone underneath you. So where do you see the best and biggest impacts of of Toto on that team? Without wanting to sound arrogant or patronising, I run people and they run Formula Formula One team. I think that's your secret, though, that you see that it's a people thing. Absolutely. But, I mean, we are all people. How could you ignore that most important factor? I would say that I care. And I think this is being felt and I'm trying to provide a framework for the people to function best, uh, try to provide the funding that is, that is necessary, make the people interact in the best possible way, allow the argument in order to achieve the best outcome and just trying to be a role model in those various areas. But to be honest, I learn as much uh, from the people around me that I work with as much as they probably learn from me. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f***? 
are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I saw a clip the other day of you on the on the pit wall and the race was in full flow and you wanted to get a message. I think it was to Valtteri and obviously his race engineer talks to him. So you said to the race engineer, you said, tell him you can do this. Just that. Tell him you can do this. What I thought was really interesting about that was that you, you know how to get to the head of someone and impact them mentally. But again, getting to the heart. I wonder how much that is innate or what was going through your mind, actually, the few seconds before you told the race engineer that that was the message that that driver in that situation needed to hear. I don't want to talk about that particular message because it's, it's a very personal one and it's not something that I invented, but I was just listening. But it's so important to put yourself into the shoes of the other person and try to understand what are the fears and the anxieties, what are motivating factors, what is the right message at the right time. And I often laugh about the situations where these people running teams, they go on the grid, they lean over to the driver, they give him a shake. I mean, they haven't understood how that works. A driver sits in the car and it's just about to get out there, risk his life, be concentrated, and you're intruding that environment. But some may like it. I haven't seen any who likes it, but... That's a different story. So I think it's just being able to comprehend the individual and what that person needs, um, what kind of support. It can be too much. Also, some, someone that is, that is secure in itself, that knows exactly what to achieve, mm. may only need support uh, in very difficult times. And then it's more pull think uh, rather than me pushing. And I'm always ready to be pulled. And they know I'm there. Yeah. I see. I think, though, that that comes from you being really solid and confident in yourself. Because I think the example that you talk about there with someone leaning in moments before a race with a TV camera on and giving a driver a high five, that's not for the driver. That is for yeah. the person to be seen. Here I am. Just I'm just supporting this guy. Just going to get a shot of this. I'm really thoughtful. I'm, I care about him and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help him. You got that? Great. Bye. That's what that moment's about. So... When people make decisions for themselves, not for the individual that they should be making the decision about, therein lies the problem, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But sometimes it's like you said, there's 
it's really intelligent people that are so driven by their egos. They are being carried away. And sometimes a lack of confidence or a lack of feeling included. And you somehow like you want to include yourself in the team's performance. I, I guess it's an advantage of, of, of the team that we are able to tell each other that we have been real idiots. Uh, and it's something that I have always done with myself and my wife does with me all the time uh, who would say, oh, you, you calm down. You, 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 you're becoming a little bit of an ass here. And, uh, <laughs> and it's just important to have that environment around you. So when you talk about this empathy that you have, this ability to understand the drivers and the world of, of, of another individual, Toto, how do you get your drivers then, these guys that are competing with each other, how do you manage that relationship of being able to empathise and understand and engage with them while you're trying to do that for two guys that are going to be in competition? You have to recognise that these, the best ones are the edgiest ones in terms of personalities, behaviours. And this is not only in a, in a, in a sporting environment, but it's somehow compounded for sports people. I've seen few, a few exceptional people in business life, uh, chief executive officers or engineers, bankers that have been really mind-blowing. None of them have, have been easy characters. Um, all of them had complexities to the personality that you had to understand in order to deal with them. But with sports people, it's different because you're only as good as your last race. The pressure is enormous. Nobody else can really help you in that, in that moment. And in a way, it's traumatized kids that have been put by the, by the dreams of their parents into a go-kart at the age of six uh, and letting them drive out there alone. And for sure, you need to overcome these fears. And all your life, you're alone in this car, all your, throughout your sports career. And then suddenly you're being embedded in a big team and everybody tells you, you know, you have to be a team player. And how can these people be team players at the beginning? They have never been told to be team players. They had to rely on themselves. And I think a great achievement of the, our group and, our, and, and, and Lewis and Valtteri, and also uh, Nico to a certain degree back in the day, was that they really understood that in order for them to perform well, they needed the support of the group. And I think that is a big difference with, with the Mercedes F1 team. But I really like to work with difficult people and, and sports people because there's a lot to learn from them. And uh, there is a reason why they are the best in their, in their area. It's just, it's just so um, interesting. So do you think that prickly, difficult edge is necessary to be a high performer? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think why can somebody push um, himself or herself to, the, to these edges, to have failure and cope with it and, and stand up and become stronger, drive a car on the edge, risking, risking your life? Because unfortunately, we don't see this through the cameras anymore. But it's really risking your life. And um, go get up in the morning and train all day. Push yourself to the limits. Have the discipline in your daily activities, in nutrition, in training, in sleeping. Finding out how you function best in the constant pressure against being measured with your peers. 
you know, that is a real, real skill. And it's a combination of nature and nurture. But there is only a handful of goats. And that is the reason. And what have you learned, Toto? Because we've spoken a lot about protecting people to get the best out of them. What have you learned about making the drivers feel protected to get the best out of them? What works for someone competing at that level? It's not only that I protect the, the drivers, but the drivers also protect the team. Because the moment the lights go on green, the driver is the final line of attack. They are burdening all the work, all the sweat and tears of a large organization. And in that moment, they protect they protect the team. And I think with Lewis and Valtteri, it's, um, it's that we know we can rely on each other. We won't let each other down. We can have pretty tough arguments with each other or discussions with each other. Sometimes we fall out, but we never want to divorce because we are best driver wants best car. Best driver needs best car needs best driver. So we are on this journey. We are almost bound together. In a way, you know, this, there is this Navy SEAL training where I think they call it Health Week, where they put you together with your, with your body uh, into the ocean. And the only way of surviving is uh, using each other's body heat, coping with, with the situation. And I think that is what we do, not in the same sense. We're not swimming in an ocean bound together, but we need a reliance on each other in order to, to compete. And a few years ago, when Nico and Lewis were fighting for the title, you know, it looked from the outside looking in like they had gone on different paths and there was a lot of friction between them. Is it sometimes okay to allow that? And did you feel that in that instance, maybe that could help to get the best out of one or the other or both? Um, I'm not sure it gets the best out of both because that is negativity. And you still have to be a team player. If there is, if the debriefing room is full of negativity because the two drivers are hostile with each other, then that will spill over into the energy into the room. And that is not something that I will ever allow again. So did, did that happen, do you think? Yeah, that happened. But I couldn't change it because the drivers were hired before I came. Nobody actually thought, what is the dynamic between the two? What is the past between the two? I mean, there was a lot of historical context that nobody of us knew and will never know. And that's why this is something that we are, we are, we're looking at. How do the drivers work with each other? Uh, what happens in the case of failure of one and the other? We accept the annoyance and pain if it goes against one, but we're trying still to keep the positive dynamic in the team. And if it wouldn't function anymore, that's fine. If we were to fail again, that's fine. Then we're changing the driver line. But all of your years of experience and learning and empathy and understanding and protecting, that still wasn't enough to solve that situation. I, I imagine you tried. It was very difficult because I came into the team as a as a newcomer in Formula One. And Nico and Luis have been in the sport for much longer. But still, I was able to create an environment where they had to respect the team, um, sometimes with an iron fist. And uh, they understood that they couldn't let us down. They couldn't let Mercedes down. When uh, the events of 2014, I felt there was some selfish behavior. I said, the next time you come close to the other car, your teammate, you think about the Mercedes brand. You think about 
single individuals in the team. You think about Dieter Zetsche, the CEO of, the, of, of Mercedes. That's going to change the way you act. You're not going to put your teammate into the wall. Mm. And I always made clear that if this were to happen regularly, and I would see a pattern, I have no fear in making somebody miss races. So maybe in some ways that period was a really important period for the team because you know that's a place you don't go back to. Absolutely. I think the, most, the, 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 the thing the drivers want the most is compete in a car. And uh, you always need to be very clear that you compete in the car if you understand the team's, the team's game. It's much more difficult because there's only two drivers in the team. It's not easy to find a replacement um, and a, re a replacement on that level. But I'm prepared to sacrifice a race or two just to make it clear for all future generations who are going to drive for Mercedes that that's not all. In a football team, um, I think in football, it's a little bit easier. Uh, it, it's easier and more difficult. More difficult because you're having a squad of 20 or 30 people that are all difficult because they are the best or among the best. But then it's easier because the replacement is easier because it's 11. Are you familiar with the idea of a stop doing list, Toto? So the management writer, Jim Collins, talks about it's almost as important to be clear about what you won't do as much as what you will do. So that experience where you described the, the negativity and the conflict, is there anything that you added to a stop doing list that you made clear was unacceptable in your world? I think there is a, a visible and invisible way of doing that. There is a, uh, what we had in the past, rules of engagement between the drivers. We felt that rules is not the right word. So we call it racing intent now. How we expect the drivers to handle certain situations. But with the experience that we have today and the two drivers knowing the team, it's almost become something that is ingrained in the driver's mentality and in the team's mentality. But everybody knows that for me personally, having the responsibility of running this team, uh, the responsibility towards the people and the brand, this great brand, there is a line until where I can go. And if you, can, if you drag me over the line, I'm losing it. I'm not losing it, actually. That's the wrong description. The outcome may something that is that could be less enjoyable. You know what, Toto, when we sit here and have a conversation as we have for the last hour, we spoke at the beginning about relentlessness and passion. And I, I get the impression that you are as passionate about this job and as relentless as, as the day you started. Where does that energy come from? It's not completely true because there is a reason why teams, not many teams win world championships. There is less who can do more than one. And I don't believe there is any that won seven in a row on a world championship level. And the reason is that great people meet on this journey, but great people leave, uh, lose motivation or energy, get complacent. And if winning becomes a habit and is not something special anymore, this may create a, a negative spiral that eventually is going to make you lose. But we are not immune to that. And we know that that risk is is there. So we need to actively tackle that. We are bringing talent up. We are making people responsible in their departments and areas that have been more junior in the past. So it becomes their own success. We're trying to define objectives that excite, that people buy in, and we accept 
that nobody is able to perform 24-7 all the time and be the best himself or herself. But we have such a strong group of people that we carry the ones that need time on the sidelines. And it happened to me. Last year I had a period that I had to redefine for myself what the future would, would hold. And I was being carried. And when I came back to full power and I needed that, I'm carrying others now. That's an interesting one for people to understand because that was the year you won seven back-to-back titles. That was the year you did better than anyone's ever done before. Why would that be the period that you would find your energy levels had dropped or your, you needed to be carried? That was my own expectations, what you said. I needed to be for myself. If When I embarked on this job, I wanted to be the best. Um, and I only wanted it for... For me, you know, I, I, I don't want to prove it to anybody else. It was the, the kind of um, target I set myself. And when I, when I achieved it, it, it there, there was a certain degree of, um, I needed to reinvent myself hmm. and reinvent the objectives. And that takes time. And uh, my role is transitioning from this team, traditional team principles role to, 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 to a wider responsibility. And I take great pleasure of people carrying the, the baton for me in the future. And, um, and I decided to not only stay involved in the team in, in a management role, but actually together with Daimler and Jim Ratcliffe to own the team for a long time and commit myself to the sport whilst keeping the options open and um, managing the team in a broader context. So that process of reinvention, Toto, I read a really interesting quote from you where you spoke about deleting social media and uh, from your phone so you could spend more time looking at sunsets. And then you spoke about the idea that even though you did that, you still spent most of your time dominated thinking about Formula One. So how do you go about switching off and recharging and giving yourself space to reinvent? I somehow, uh, being hooked to a screen is not good for me. It, can, it, it kind of sucks energy for me. And I really enjoy when I'm traveling, just staring on the ceiling in the airplane. And I can do this for 10 hours because any kind of outside distraction doesn't work for me. I enjoy reading books, particularly finance books that give me a sometimes different perception. I enjoy spending time with people that, that are close to me. Today, I'm in, I'm in Bahrain here, and I had the opportunity to sit, to have some time with one exceptionally intelligent person, the Minister of Finance of Bahrain. And there's so much that I learned that it left me flabbergasted. And, um, and, and that is something where we got to develop and, and learn new skills and a new understanding. And that is much more Interesting that looking at somebody's Instagram posing, trying to make me look at them. I'm not interested in in uh, looking at somebody else's life. I love that. Listen, Toto. Before we wrap up, we have a quick fire round. A few questions, um, and uh, the first one is: What are the three non-negotiables that people around you must buy into? Number one: Never ever lie because I will lose all respect. Number two, don't bullshit me, because I will find out. Number three, be authentic, 
but with all your weaknesses and strengths, because even with your weaknesses, you can contribute to my life and you can contribute to the, to the team's success. What advice would you give to a teenage Toto just starting out on your journey? That's a difficult one because I made all the mistakes that you could probably make and uh, every single one was important. And if you open up your, the first chapter of your professional life, you shouldn't look at somebody who is in his 30th chapter because you need the in-between to learn. And if there was one advice that I would give is find out where your skill is and what you enjoy doing. And even if it's not clear of what that could be in terms of a job, eventually it will find you. Lovely. How important is legacy to you? Zero. Zero importance. I live in the, in the now um, I try, and I try to be um, better tomorrow than today. Nobody's interested in anybody else's legacy. There's so many great people out there that are forgotten once they jump out of the hamster wheel and you need to just acknowledge that. That's why today is important and whatever somebody else thinks about me has no relevance. Mm. I hope that my children and my wife and my friends will remember that I have added to their life, but not, not what's on the Wikipedia page. And finally, Toto, what's your one golden rule to live in a high-performance life? If there would be one, it would be much easier. So my golden rule would be, there is no golden rule. There are many rules. Right. There was a scientific discussion on TV about uh, macroeconomics, and there was all these clever people that were debating about the influences that made a um, country's economy uh, GDP grow. And there was this one very simple guy that they were asked the same question, what's the golden rule? And the guy said, the golden rule is that the man with the gold makes the rules. <laughs> <laughs> so this is not my rule, but I kind of... Uh, well, it's not that. The golden rule is that there is no golden rule. That is a very good point and a great point to end on. There are indeed no shortcuts. You haven't taken any and um, it shows. I, to sit there and share... The things you've learned, the successes, the failures, the lessons over the last hour is something that I know the listeners to this podcast will get so much from. So I, I can't thank you enough for making the time for us. Really enjoyed it. Damien. Jake. What an interesting character he was. You know, at the end there, when he ran through his non-negotiables, I, I just got like, he looked down the camera, didn't he? And he was like, number one. Yeah. Do not lie. And I was just, I was, I wasn't scared, but I, th I felt his presence in that moment. You know, you can see there one of the traits of his leadership is, is absolutely not to leave people in any doubt as to how he feels about them or the situation, don't you think? There was no ambiguity at all. I think that, no. but then the word that kept coming back to me when he was doing it was just authenticity. Everything was about be straight, be honest, don't lie, admit to your errors and just be yourself. I think there's something incredibly powerful that like like you've said on previous podcasts you know in a world where we're all presenting sanitized views just being yourself and being comfortable with yourself is is a superpower in its own right and i think that authenticity actually comes from confidence you know he now has the confidence to be totally himself doesn't he and then and then that allows you to say i don't know the answer to that or to say I messed up or I failed or I don't know the way forward, so come and help me out. And then in turn, that brings the team with you. I think too often leaders feel they have to know the answer to everything. 
he used the phrase when we asked him about his childhood and then we spoke about uh, how the culture he creates of safety and psychological safety is the admittance that sometimes I don't know and not worrying about the consequences of looking silly or being regarded as weak for doing it. And I think that comes from a place of absolute security in himself. He might not know the answers, but it doesn't mean that he's weak. You know, that, that psychological safety is a, an incredibly powerful factor of all high-performing cultures. I totally get what, what, what you're saying, Damien. You know, I was reminded a little bit of the Sean Wayne episode because I look back on Sean Wayne and I think he's a guy who suffered a trauma, a different trauma to Toto, but a trauma at a young age. And his whole life, Sean's whole life has been built around trying to protect the young men who play for him. So they don't feel what he felt. And it feels to me like Toto is exactly the same. He had a trauma at a young age and he, he's doing everything in his power, of course, to win Formula One races and live a great life and be a successful businessman, but to protect people around him so they don't get the sensation that he would have felt at a young age. Yeah, I think it was really powerful. I mean, as somebody that is not well versed in his sport, I thought the answer that he gave around how much of this is about the engineering and the mechanics... And, uh, of his sport versus the people. For him to say it's 100% about people was a really powerful and illuminating answer that it's about, like you say, protecting, making people feel safe and making people feel valued and only then can they deliver their very best. I think there's something really, really powerful about that message. And really in a world that is all about the lap time and the stopwatch and the, the new front wing and the updates, and it, it's so driven by an engineering speed. He's a constant reminder that putting people first is the secret to success, no matter what the business. You can't go wrong if you look after the people. There's a bit of a silly analogy that I draw here, Jake, that um, last year we were looking at uh, sending my son to high school and my wife and I went round all the schools and the ones that left us cold were the head teachers that stood up and boasted about exam results. And that's all they spoke about, the quality of exam results, whereas the school we chose to send him to were the ones that spoke about happy children and putting the, the welfare and the happiness of children first. And the view was that when kids are happy, they will do as well as they're capable of when it comes to exams. And it chimed with our values about putting people before results. And I think that was something really that resonated in what Toto was saying. It's not, you know, happy drivers, happy engineers, happy people directors, as he described, will produce fast lap times. I think there's something there that we can all learn from. It's another example of this podcast getting hold of the biggest name aside from the drivers in Formula One and not really talking about Formula One. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just about life. So there's a great line that Howard Schultz, the founder of Starbucks, uses. He says, we're not a coffee business serving people. We're a people business serving coffee. And that comes across in so many of our interviews, you know. He's a team manager not talking about racing. He's a team manager talking about people that just happen to race. And I think there's something really illuminating for that, as I say, for somebody like myself that isn't that well-versed in his world. Well, Damien, the reaction over the past seven days has been amazing to the Stephen Hendry episode. Do you know what? I think that I remember feeling this when we interviewed Johnny Wilkinson months ago. I thought, I really hope people take that in the spirit it's intended and, and, and don't criticise. And I kind of... I didn't agree with some of the stuff that Stephen Hendry said, but I also hoped that people 
didn't pillory him for saying it because I think we have to have a podcast and we have to have a society where we are free to be honest and really tell the truth. Otherwise, what do we end up with? It's just a load of people telling others what they want them to hear and what isn't real. And I, and I think Stephen's honesty shone through, didn't it? Yeah, I think there's a real appetite for people telling you both the good and the bad sides of their pursuit of high performance. I think we can't just listen to the successes and the glory and all the benefits of it without hearing the sacrifices, the consequences, the the struggles that they've gone through. And I think it's a real testimony to Stephen that he was prepared to explain that in such candid detail. And I've learned loads having these conversations and then I make sure I always kind of listen back to them a couple of months later and I learn more things, which is a, a nice tip for, for you listeners who are tuning into this. One one thing that I still don't sort of feel I have the answer to, right, Damien, is whether um, whether balance is possible or whether to be Johnny Wilkinson, to be Stephen Hendry, to be Holly Tucker, to be Stephen Bartlett, to be Matthew McConaughey, you have to go to the absolute limit, which means that other things suffer. It's a brilliant question to reflect on. I think that there's an old line, isn't there, Jake, that says that you can have anything you want, but you can't have everything you want. And I think we all have to prioritise. And we're all doing that anyway. You know, sometimes we'll prioritise time with our family at the expense of pursuing that next career job. Or, you know, sometimes we'll prioritise working rather than reading the bedtime stories to the kids. So we're all making priorities all the time anyway. But I think what our interviewees have done is it's almost at an extreme level to go to that level of mastery they've had to sacrifice whether it's their personal lives whether it's their social circle whether it's their ability to be maybe a little bit more rounded uh, than other people do and I think once you make a clear decision on that there's a contentment to it I think for many of us though we don't consciously prioritize we let life prioritize for us and that's where resentment and dissatisfaction can uh, mm. can often follow. I think it's also a good reminder to have people around you who are absolutely able to tell you really what is going on, not what you think is going on. Because one of the books that I talk about a lot is the 5am club. And they talk in that book about getting down to the absolute granular detail with life, you know, real granular focus on the minutest details of every part of your life. And I think that one of the key things is when I find myself getting too granular with work or with the businesses I'm involved in or with this podcast and things, Harriet, my wife, is there to go, hey, come on, you can't be that focused on that and then so not focused on on what on what's going on here at home. And do you remember Kevin Sinfield saying, to be a winner, first you have to be a winner at home. And I've reminded myself of that a lot. And I think if you don't have that person to, to sort of offer those checks and balances, that's where it can, that's where it can be difficult. Yeah, I use a, a phrase when I work with coaches, I talk about you surround yourself with either time tellers or truth tellers. And that phrase comes from, I remember once working with a coach who was struggling in a particular game and he turned to his assistants and he was looking for some ideas or them just to throw in a solution into the mix and the two guys that were his assistants just said to him there's 20 minutes left and I remember thinking I could have done that for you and I'm not well versed in your sport but what it told me was that those guys didn't feel comfortable enough to challenge him with the truth or an alternative which was a failure on the part of the coach's side that he hadn't built relationships where people could be like what Harriet is for you and tell you with complete honesty I think he's making a mistake there or you're getting stuck in a way of thinking. 
So I think that it's important that we all recruit somebody around us that feels safe enough to tell us the truth when we need to hear it, and that's for good or bad reasons. It's great. Truth tellers, not time tellers. I mean, I remember when we said, what are your three non-negotiables, and selfishness was the first one. I was like, wow. But it is also a reminder that you can still learn from people, even if you don't agree with people. I think it's really good, particularly in this society where we follow people on Twitter and Instagram who agree with us. We find friends who agree with us. Our family members may well be time tellers, not truth tellers. It's good sometimes to to chase down those polar opposite opinions and really ask yourself whether what you believe and what you think is the right thing or not. Yeah, so we're not surrounded by an echo chamber of just our own opinions coming back at us, sometimes hearing something that conflicts with our view of the world, gives us pause for thought, makes us challenge our own perception. And we might come away and still disagree with that other person, but we're further on in our thinking for having done that. And I think that's what Stephen has done for a lot of people. The feedback I've had is that you don't necessarily have to agree with him to admire him and to reflect on where you are in your in your decision-making. Totally agree. And I think, you know, on behalf of all of us on the High Performance Podcast, um, I know Stephen listens to these. I would say, Stephen, thank you again so much for coming on and trusting us with uh, with the absolute truth. Uh, Chris on Insta says he listens each week while walking to his NHS job. He loves the escapism and the learning. Chris, first of all, thanks for everything that you've done during this global pandemic on behalf of the National Health Service. He also says, Damien, um, I wonder if there's a good gap for more people who tried but failed. And actually, I think it's quite a nice exercise don't you, Damien, to listen back to the podcasts and listen out for the conversations about failure? Because I think there is more in there than people think there is. They just focus on the bits where people talk about the success because they think that's the learning. Yeah, yeah. I think and I think it's interesting that a lot of the people that we, we have interviewed wouldn't describe themselves as successful. They'd just see themselves as resilient or they've just persevered through an awful lot of failures. So that's a label that describing somebody as a success is a label that we put on them, but that's not necessarily the way that they would describe themselves. Yeah, really interesting stuff, Damien. And I also want to mention an email we got this week because one of the things that Damien and I are proud of is that this podcast is listened to by a hard-to-reach audience of young men. They're hard to get hold of, they're hard to impact, and it's hard to change their mindset, and I'm really proud this podcast is doing that. But it's also really important to us that everyone listens to this. We love it when we get messages like this saying, one of the people who your podcast has helped the most has been my 79-year-old mum, Avril Oten. Living alone during the pandemic, she's found the past few months difficult at times, but given the kind of person she is, she refuses to be beaten and continues to find ways to keep moving forwards and remain positive, something she always did as a successful businesswoman. But one of the main catalysts for the way she's approached this pandemic has been your podcast. That has put a smile on my face, Damien, bigger than you could imagine. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. That's yeah, I'm I'm I am humbled by that that somebody is listening to it and finding it helpful, especially in those trying circumstances. And um Avril, I'm so pleased that you're that you're listening. And what I would say to anyone listening to this, if there's someone you know that really could do with hearing these kinds of conversations, but for whatever reason they haven't found a podcast or they're not the kind of person that would please just feel free to throw them the link to the pod. Just get them to listen to one episode because what we find is that people go for one and then they start really getting involved in it and then they just binge listen to the lot. Damien, thanks so much, man, for your time. Happy Easter to you. 
Yeah, same to you and your family as well, Jake. Uh, thanks for having me along again. No worries, mate. Lots of love as always. Thanks to you for uh, listening to the podcast. Um, you are the people that keep this one going. Just a quick reminder, you can follow us on Instagram. You can find us on YouTube. It really, really helps the pod if you can rate and review it. I would love you to do that right now. And also, don't forget, we have a high-performance book coming out this year. And right now, you can go to the description for this podcast. The link is there. Click it and pre-order the book right now on Amazon. And thank you to the many, many people who've already pre-ordered the High Performance book. Thanks, as always, to the great team behind the High Performance podcast, to Hannah and Will. We couldn't do it without you. And also to Finn Ryan at Rethink Audio for his hard work. And also, let me please shout out givemesport.com forward slash podcasts. They are our official partner. And we would love you to head over there and check out some of the content on Give Me Sport. It's a big load of thanks to everyone who continues to make this podcast bigger and bigger every week. Once again, hundreds of thousands of people have downloaded these pods in the last seven days. Long may it continue. See you soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.